You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. This edition of It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, your partner for global wealth creation. Welcome to It's My Money. It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth and Brenthurst Wealth has been voted South Africa's top boutique wealth manager in 2023. I received an article from the desk of Aaron Ruttenberg just a couple of days ago and it says here, overcoming a cash addiction in your portfolio. I've heard of lots of addictions. A cash addiction is in the, in the form that Aaron presents it. I haven't. It says, right, when markets are rising, you assume that they are too expensive and will con- correct at some point. Again, cash becomes a safety blanket. In a book I read, the author mentioned his friend who went into cash in 1999. This is good timing, considering it was the height of the tech bubble, which was the most expensive in the the US stock market has ever been. Unfortunately, he was still sitting in cash 15 years later. That's a long time later. Why why was he doing that, just out of interest, Aaron? So the book didn't describe exactly why. But I know the point that was made. And the point is that once you get to that, and afternoon to all your listeners as well, but um, once you get to that point where you've made money because you feel like you're clever and, you know, the market's gone up and you're feeling good. And those times it was more of a tech-focused rally um, in 99, you'll be at that point where, okay, you don't want to lose the money that you've recently made. It's what we call recency bias in the behavioral finance side of things. And, you know, the market keeps, if the market keeps on going up, you're fine because you've made some money. And if the market goes down, you're a bit nervous. So you just keep on adding cash to your cash bucket, um, but you're too scared to continue adding cash to the market because you're in this comfortable position where everything is just all in the green and you just want to keep it that way. There's a couple of points I'd like to make there. The first thing is this bloke, whoever he is, just thought he was invincible. He got out just before the market peaked in March 2000. And uh, so he thought he was invincible. That's the first thing. And the, the second thing is that when you get something like the crash that we had, and it took a long time for the NASDAQ, for example, to recover from that crash, 5,000 down to 1,500, whatever the figures were, took a long time to get back to 5,000. So he was still vindicated in some ways if he was in tech. But he just kept on reading and reading about how bad it was and how bad it's going to get. And that is when you start to get back in again. But he simply couldn't. It was a psychological block he had, in my opinion. Exactly. And that's the psychology I was talking about. Look, market timing is hard enough because you've got to be right twice, Lindsay. First, you've got to know when to get out, which he got right. But then you've got to know when to get back in, which he got wrong. And diversification is very hand in hand with that because, yes, it took a long time for shares like Microsoft and, and, and the NASDAQ even to recover. Yes. Um, but there were other parts of the market which if you were well diversified and you would have done pretty nicely, there was the resources section of the sector. You know, there was more quality and defensives that would have been pretty much given you some decent returns. If you were only in the, in, in the NASDAQ, it would have taken time. And that's, that's the thing. Um, you've got to you know when to get out, but then you've got to know when to get in, even if you're well diversified.
Okay, uh, so diversification agree. and asset allocation terribly, terribly important. And in, in fact, I suppose the, the the best thing to talk talk about rather when you first meet a client is say diversify your portfolio across a, a wide spectrum of investments. Unless, of course, you're totally addicted mm. to gold or, or to cash, in which case it's up to you and they can be forceful with you. But yeah, cash goes down, so what? Because other things are going up. That's the simple principle of diversification. And a good principle it is too. Yes, Lindsay. I've spoken about it in articles and clients. I've sent them my articles on diversification and asset allocation, which are spoken about in its entirety. But the whole idea behind setting an asset allocation in the first place, as you mentioned, is that it helps you balance your various risks and time horizons as an investor. You don't have one asset allocation for bull markets and another one for bear markets and one for inflationary environments, like we're seeing now, and one for deflation and so on. You should have a mix of stocks, bonds, cash, and other assets you know, that are durable enough for you to hold in any market environment. That should be true for both your current assets in your portfolio and any future contributions as well. Okay. So if you're worried about valuation. Yeah, there's, sorry, sorry to interrupt because you, you talk about a mix of stocks, bonds, cash and other assets. Now, that's that's not vague, but it's it's not specific. And I suppose, in my mind, that every client will have a different asset allocation depending on his or her risk profile and age and that sort of thing. And also market conditions do dictate that you have to adjust the the percentage of one particular asset according to market conditions. I mean, now, for example, interest rates predicted to come down. Maybe you have a look at um, your bond exposure, something like that, Aaron. Exactly. A lot of clients at this point in time that are in balanced funds that are offshore, um, you know, you hear about you hear about them saying, you know, why is the portfolio down? You know, compared to where the equity positions were. And it's the same thing. You know, the, the, the bond position within that exposure is down because interest rates are high and interest rates are high because of inflation. And diversification is actually about hating part of your portfolio. So that part of the portfolio you don't like because it's down because of interest rates. But again, when interest rates – and it's all cycles markets. So the equity portion has gone up very nicely, but the bond portions lag because of interest rates. And when interest rates go back down – which we're hoping for um, half, half the second half, call it next year, then that bond exposure will shoot up. So you should remain invested. And that's that part of the portfolio. Of course, there's other parts that should be for other goals and you should think about it as a, as a bucketed approach. You know, anything that's very short term should be um, just in cash. Um, locally, our bonds are pretty good for that as well. But um, offshore, it's very much really be in the lagger and gold to your point of view as well you know gold's going up now but gold was not going up when interest rates were being increased so you shouldn't have only gold in the portfolio now that you know people are worried about inflation the gold was doing well then it went back down when interest rates were going up and same for next year if there is some type of recession people are getting into gold at the moment and also to um, combat potential future interest rate decreases as you know Gold doesn't. Gold always rises in those occasions. I, I recognise over the years of speaking to you and your colleagues at Brenthurst Wealth that the asset class that is is dominant is the equity asset class. But even within an asset class, you can diversify as well. Let's say that you don't like the Magnificent Seven; they've run too far. Tesla's too high. Alphabet is this and that, and and so and so it goes on. So you might say to your client, "Well, let's have a look at our portfolio. We've done well out of these ones. Let's have a look at the ones that are a little bit beaten." 
eaten up. Maybe it's value stocks. Maybe it's retailers. Maybe it's provincial banks in the United States. Maybe put a, take a little bit off the high-flying table and put it into something that is down in the cellar with the wines and spirits, if you see what I mean. So within that asset class, diversification as well. There's so much that diversification incorporates. You're right. If you just look at equities and you're worried about, for example, U.S., large cap stocks, especially the high flyers like a Magnificent Seven, like you mentioned, then you can diversify away into other asset classes that are still in developed economies. Quality, quality shares, your Johnson & Johnson's, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Estee Lauder, and then you've got other stocks in the UK, the EU, as well as the smaller caps. Now, international stocks outside of the, the US are much cheaper at the moment, and they still have some quality names. And the same thing goes for, you know, property stocks, and small caps if you're a little bit more on the risk, higher risk spectrum. But even if you're not, you can put a little bit in the portfolio because as soon as interest rates go down and as soon as the market's doing nicely, those tend to also run up a bit quicker. One doesn't have to have an entire, you know, the entire portfolio in just small caps. So you can go through the UK, the EU, you have Japan, and equity exists in all of those jurisdictions. And they are cheaper just your half-lying U.S. large-cap stocks that have your Magnificent Seven. So you can really diversify within those environments and geographies and therefore de-risk your portfolio that way. And over time, you'll, you'll really find that your portfolio goes up. And that's the most important thing is your portfolio going up. Yes, it is. And uh, you've also got to do a bit of soul searching, Aaron, according to your piece. You say the other big piece here is defining your goals. Why are you investing this cash in the first place? And you go through a few things. Is it for your retirement, uh, you know, a fancy holiday, renovations, etc. So so once you set those goals, you have to keep on re-looking at them. And I would have thought and said, actually, I don't want that goal anymore. I don't need that goal anymore. I'm resetting my goals. Would that be the case? That can be the case, especially when you go through the different life stages. One can be in the life stage where they're in retirement or pre-retirement, but not necessarily does one have to de-risk their pro their investments completely. When you look at a bucketed approach, and remember the sole goal of investing is not to find the highest returns you can or create the most optimized portfolio outperforming a benchmark. You're, you invest money in the hopes that it grows. For, to a larger amount in the future. So when you look at different goals, like when you're pre-retirement, you're still going to live longer. So you have to have an allocation towards riskier assets within that portfolio. But you don't necessarily have to have an entire, there's a science behind it, but an entire portfolio made up of equities. You might also have a separate cash bucket that's completely separate to your retirement portfolio or your pre-retirement portfolio that you you know, you've defined to be a place where you can use to go on holidays, where I mentioned a trip to Hawaii or renovations or a kid's wedding. That's a separate thing. And you could have another cash portfolio for a car. You could have a nice balanced portfolio for your pre-retirement or your post-retirement. And you could even have a little bit of an aggressive portfolio on the side, if you'd like, depending on, on how much money you have. But each part of your money should be viewed as one big bucket. But you can separate your portfolio into different buckets if that helps. And that's what I was mentioning, all those different goals. Um, one can be for growth, for income, yeah. for a special occasion, and you, and you talk about a cash bucket. And you say uh, quite forcefully, I think, because it's such a simple sentence, my cash bucket has a ceiling on it. What do you mean by that? 
So my cash bucket is very much predetermined on an absolute basis. One can have an absolute basis where they think they define it in rand value. I want 100,000 rand in my cash bucket. Or one can take the entire portfolio of whether it be pre-retirement, post-retirement, discretionary local, discretionary money, offshore, the entire portfolio, and they could think, okay, I've got a 3 million rand portfolio, but in that portfolio, I want 10% to always be in cash, even if I'm con constantly contributing. So I should have, or if it's a 10 million portfolio to make it easy, you should have 3 million in cash. If you want 10% of your portfolio in cash, it should be 3 million of that 30 million. I said 10, but now I've, I've jumped to 30. But I'm just <laughs> reading what I what I wrote earlier. So the 30 million is your entire portfolio. That's a that's a predetermined level in, in terms of a percentage. That's 10% should always be in cash. My Mine is absolute, so I'd only like to have a certain amount. It's a figure that I want to be in cash. And if I drop below that figure because I've used it, then I'll just replenish it. But that's because my age is a lot younger and I don't need, I'm trying to take a lot more risk. With somebody might, who may be older that's listening to this, they might want to have something as a percentage base. They might want to have their million rand portfolio be 10% in cash all the time, for example. It's hard to get away from cash. I mean, I use a stupid example, which I've used with a couple of your colleagues before. I like to have cash in my pocket. I mean, I know I, I've got the facilities to pay with my phone and swipe it against something and all that sort of thing. There's something quite comforting about cash. I think it's an age thing. I think you're right, actually, Aaron. But anyway, so let's move on. It says here, the point of every piece of your portfolio should have a job, and those jobs should be defined in advance along with the resources necessary to complete them so at, you've got to delegate here you go to say right this bucket you're going to do this and this bucket you're going to do that etc etc and occasionally one will go up one will go down but these are your primary jobs aaron correct that's your jobs once you've made the predefined goals for each part of the bucket the aggressive bucket for longer term growth the shorter term bucket for specific short-term goals um, and the retirement bucket call it for the retirement goals then you should be thinking about how do you implement it? Because it's very easy to put something on paper, but you know the harder part is implementing that plan, Lindsay. And one of those ways is you can automate your investments where you just don't even look at anything because you're worried. And that's the whole thing about cash and your addiction to cash. If you're automating, you're not looking um, whether the market goes up or down. You're just con consistently um, rand cost or dollar cost averaging into your investments, into your cash bucket, and you stop looking at your portfolio as much which gives each part a job. There might be a few debit orders or, or automations, or you might like to do it manually. Automations is better, as I say, but that's the thing, getting it done, putting it into plan, and that's that person that didn't do it when you know and held onto cash for 15 years. It's easy to say, I'm gonna get back into the market, but when? So there's ways you can do that. I said automation, speaking to somebody that's you know qualified to give advice can also be a, a, a good person to assist you in creating that plan exactly. and keeping your emotions at bay because the emotions is the biggest thing you yourself are your biggest enemy not the market yes indeed i mean that that sentence again a short uh, simple one uh, but very impactful the hard part is implementing your plan it's like joining the gym and i've used this example with yourself and your colleagues uh, many times in the past it's easy to go and join the gym and sit down and say right i'm going to do that i'm coming on mondays wednesdays and friday mornings and i'm going to do this this and this and you feel very proud of yourself i must say I've had I've been to at least six gyms and felt very proud of myself that I've joined. Unfortunately, it's going to the gym that's the hard part. And it's the same with the financial plan, Aaron, and that's where you come in, of course. Correct, because I can keep you accountable. Just like 
you know, if somebody, I, I love going to the gym and I don't need to be held accountable for that. I hold myself accountable, but some people might need that push. An advisor can be that push in the terms of a gym. If you, if you use that metaphor, your personal trainer is an example who can help you because you, you've made, you've paid the person and now you have to go. It's yes. not like you're on the couch sitting there. Oh, I'll go tomorrow. You'll go the same day every day tomorrow. But if you've got a personal trainer, you might have that person there and you have to go. He's holding you accountable. And that can also be a part of an advisor's plan. Even if you know what you're doing, holding yourself accountable, speaking to somebody that, you know, having like a psychologist, but somebody that also can, can be objective. It doesn't know you that well and can assist you along that route. That's the important part. Stop looking at your portfolio so much and also stop looking at these television programs and these listening to these podcasts. I don't include this one, of course, but, you know, there's certain people on television that forcing things. This is what he thinks now. This is what I think. This is what's going to happen. You say, wait a second. Uh, Mr. Ruttenberg never mentioned this. Well, I, I must phone him up now because they're overthinking it. You set your plan. Just let it flow. There'll be ups and downs. But to historically... It'll be more ups than downs, Aaron. Exactly, more ups than downs. Um, I've, I've shared a, a little table there, which I'm going to include when the article comes out, where you know the all-time highs by decade, because this is more about the cash addiction of the portfolio and that person who had that money sitting there for 15, 15 years. In, in, in the 1990s, there were 310 all-time highs. In the 2000s, which were known as almost the lost decade, and, and markets have gone up very nicely since then, there were 13 all-time highs. Hmm. In the 2010s, so from 2010 to 2020, there were, 240, there were 241. So far in this decade, there's been 103. So we're still a third behind the 1990s. There could be plenty all-time highs to be had. And that person on TV that you listen to that says this stock or that stock, I've mentioned this before, they don't know your risk profile either. They don't know you as a human being. They don't know whether you're married or whether you have children or, you know, your history of money and your psychology and, you know, what your specific structures need to be. So you need to be very careful of when you listen to people that are mentioning stocks yes. and, you know, specifics because they don't know you or your current circumstances, your current risk profile and your current needs. And invariably, they've already bought and they're just trying to, um, you know, justify that purchase and hopefully help the price go up. But anyway, that's um, that's 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 un unkind of me. Just to finish off, Aaron, you mentioned why is a person in cash and you mentioned Hawaii and renovations and that sort of stuff. I think one justifiable reason for being in cash is events like we've got coming up now, i.e. the holiday period and the dreaded Christmas where you have to spend money. Otherwise, you're in the dog box. Exactly. With the family, especially. So. When, you, when you're in this specific situation, that's when you've got to predetermine what cash position you have. You could even have a little bit of cash on the side in an online bank account. Very, very, doesn't have to be in local bonds or offshore bonds if you're living overseas. It can be in complete and utter discretionary cash that you automate you know, every month that you know you're going to spend at the end of the year because you don't want to take money, that's the point, out of your longer-term buckets, yeah. the ones that are engine of growth. Aaron, thank you very much for your wisdom and thank you very much for all your contributions over 2023. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, continuing to chat to you in 2024. That's Aaron Ruttenberg. Very Merry Christmas, by thank the way. You. That's Aaron Ruttenberg from Brenthouse Wealth. And that was It's My Money. It's My Money was brought to you by Brenthouse Wealth, an award-winning boutique wealth management company.